to Defiant Health Radio, a place where you can count on hearing about the truth in health, including new ideas and practices that can take your health to the next level. I also cover basic health issues, not healthcare issues, because modern healthcare is largely a failure, a failure to provide genuine health. So I shall discuss basic issues that includes natural ways to reverse type 2 diabetes, lose weight without limiting calories, why cholesterol is a waste of your time and money, how to reverse common conditions such as fatty liver, and many other topics all designed to empower you in health. I'm your host, Dr. William Davis, cardiologist and author of The Wheat Belly and Undoctored Books, and watch out for my soon-to-be-released new book, Super Gut, that's going to be released in February 2022. I call this episode, Iodine Deficiency, the Forgotten Public Health Crisis. You know, most of us have forgotten that for thousands of years, really millions of years, humans have been plagued by an epidemic, a virtual non-infectious pandemic of iodine deficiency. And the reason for that is, as humans evolved and we migrated into interior parts of continents in Africa, Europe, Asia, North America, we got away from the ocean and all the world's iodine is concentrated in the ocean. So if you were a culture that lived coastally and fished and ate shellfish and gathered seaweed, you'd have no problem getting iodine. The problem comes when humans migrate into interior parts of a continent, such as the Midwest in the U.S., or provinces like Saskatchewan in Canada, or the highlands and mountains of Western Europe. There's no iodine in those lo locations because the iodine is in the ocean and it can only seep into the soil so far along the coast. And so in these interior regions, there's virtually no iodine or very little of it in the soil. When there's a lack of iodine, the thyroid gland, the thyroid gland sits in the front of the neck, just under the skin. The thyroid gland enlarges a phenomenon we call goiter. Well, we have numerous accounts from the Egyptian Empire, Greek Empire, Roman Empire, and other uh, historical sources that tell us that goiters were an enormous problem in those societies. You can even, if you look at statues or paintings, you can even see many of them show people with goiters because these people did not have access to iodine. Now, this prompted all sorts of kind of crazy solutions and theories as to why people developed goiters. Some doctors in ancient Greece, for instance, proposed that goiters were nothing more than a herniated larynx or that it derived from drinking water that came from melted snow. And they had really wild solutions, like applying a lizard to your neck or spreading dog fecal material over your neck, even giving people mercury and other toxic compounds. Of course, none of this worked, and it was only noticed sporadically that people who consumed seaweed or seafood could experience a regression or a reversal, a reduction in their goiter size. So for many, many thousands of years, humans have been plagued by goiters. As many as 20% in some locations, many as 35% of people had goiters. Now, goiters are not benign. They can have a physical effect. They can compress the airway and people could die of suffocation. It could invade the great vessels and people could uh, hemorrhage. But a much more common outcome is that people become hypothyroid. That is, they lack sufficient levels of thyroid hormones, T3 and T4. Those designations, by the way, T3 and T4, refer to the number of iodine atoms per thyroid hormone molecule. So there's three iodine atoms in T3 and four 
iodine atoms in T4. Well, when you lack iodine, your thyroid gland is unable to manufacture a sufficient quantity of thyroid hormone, and hypothyroidism sets in. And that's accompanied by such feelings as being tired all the time, being inappropriately cold all the time. Your hands and feet just can't seem to warm up, even if it's warm outside. You're tired all the time. You sleep excessive amounts, often 12, 14 or more hours. You retain a lot of water. You gain a ton of weight. And eventually you go into heart failure and then a coma and then die. So the hypothyroidism that came from iodine deficiency was a very common cause of death all throughout human history. It wasn't until 1924 when the connection between lack of iodine and goiters and hypothyroidism was made. So in 1924 in the U.S., the FDA asked salt manufacturers to add iodine to their salt. And because in the 1920s there was no TV, of course, no radio, a core of the population in the U.S. was illiterate, no internet, they launched a campaign of posters, of posting posters all around the country saying, use more iodized salt, keep your family goiter-free, or something to that effect. That was also the slogan for Morton's iodized salt. Americans listened, and goiters essentially disappeared. So for many decades, nobody had goiters. It was very unusual, except maybe for inland populations who were not exposed to this message. But for the vast majority of Americans, goiters became a thing of the past. Until the 1980s, when government agencies like the USDA, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, these are the agencies in the business of dispensing dietary advice in such forms as the food pyramid or the food plate. And they told Americans, because they were seeing many people develop hypertension, high blood pressure, so they told people to stop using so much salt. So many Americans cut back dramatically on their reliance on salt. What those agencies did not recognize was that about the same time they came out with advice to cut fat, cut saturated fat in the diet, and eat more healthy whole grains, coupled with a proliferation of sugary foods and soft drinks in the American diet. Those situations, the consumption of grains and sugars, causes high levels of insulin in the body. It leads to insulin resistance. Now, two-thirds of the American public, two-thirds of the American public, including children, now have insulin resistance. Insulin resistance, by the way, is the fundamental process that leads to numerous common chronic health conditions that we're all familiar with, like type 2 diabetes and prediabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, dementia, and numerous cancers. So two-thirds of the American public, children included, now have insulin resistance. And what the, these agencies did not recognize was that they caused insulin resistance, which causes sodium or salt retention. So the primary cause was not salt consumption. It was the insulin resistance caused by bad diet advice. And so uh, the solution is not to limit salt or cut back on salt. The solution is to reverse insulin resistance. And that, by the way, is what we do in my Wheat Belly and Undoctored programs by changing diet and addressing the common nutrient deficiencies that impact insulin resistance. Well, because we've been told to cut back on salt, guess what we're seeing now? Yes, hypothyroidism 
and goiters. Not, not all hypothyroidism is due to goiters and lack of iodine. There are other causes also. Causes such as exposure to industrial compounds like bisphenol A, BPA, or perfluorooctanoic acid, PFOA, that's the coating in nonstick cookware. There are numerous other factors that can cause thyroid disease. But a common and remediable cause is lack of iodine. So how do you go about restoring, getting more iodine in your, in your diet? Well, you could resort to iodized salts. Not my favorite way because while you can do it that way, and it was the way it was done for many years and was successful as a public health campaign, you really don't know how much iodine you're getting when you do that. Once you open the canister, the iodine is gone. It off-gasses. It's volatile. It's gone within three to four weeks. So you really have to use a lot of salt in order to get uh, iodine from iodized salt. Now, while I don't advocate limiting salt, you also don't want to get huge quantities either. So that would be not be the most ideal way to get iodine. The easiest way is to get a supplement that contains iodine. Two most common are kelp and potassium iodide drops. I like kelp because kelp contains numerous forms of iodine. It contains potassium iodide, potassium iodate, sodium iodide, sodium iodate, molecular iodine, and other forms because we really don't know if there's an ideal form of iodine or whether various organs prefer different forms of iodine because iodine is required by your thyroid gland, by the salivary glands, by the glands in, in the breast tissue, and also the glands in the gastrointestinal tract. So by using kelp, you stack the odds in favor of getting the forms of iodine that your various organs prefer. Potassium iodide drops are also inexpensive and accessible but it only provides one form, that is potassium iodide. Another way to get iodine, of course, is to go back to consuming seaweed and seafood. Uh, but it's, it's tough to know how much you get, and it's hazardous nowadays because of such things as mercury, because humans have contaminated the ocean with mercury and other compounds, and so it's not the best idea to try to get all your iodine from eating seafood and seaweed every day. What's the ideal intake of iodine? Well, that's controversial. The recommended daily allowance, the RDA, is 150 micrograms per day. Not milligrams, but micrograms. Well, where'd that come from? Well, it came from asking the question, how much iodine is required to not have a goiter? Well, is not having a goiter the same as ideal or optimal thyroid status? I don't believe it is. Now, it's uncertain, but my review of the world's literature on this question suggests that an intake of probably upwards of 300, maybe to 500 micrograms is probably the ideal level of intake. You know, there are cultures throughout the world that take in far greater quantities, especially in Asia, where intakes can be as high as 10,000 or 20,000, sometimes as high as 30,000 micrograms per day such as in the island of Hokkaido, where they like to eat a certain type of seaweed, and they frequently have iodine toxicity. We don't want that. By the way, I've never seen iodine toxicity develop with less than about 5,000 or 6,000 micrograms. So we don't want to play with iodine toxicity. And by the way, iodine toxicity looks just like hypothyroidism with a rise in TSH and all those symptoms like fatigue, weight gain, heart failure. So you do not want iodine toxicity. But I think the RDA is too low, and I believe the ideal intake of iodine is on the order of about 300 or 350 micrograms to 500 micrograms. So if you buy kelp tablets, for instance, don't be fooled by the way they list the dose. If you buy a bottle of kelp tablets, for instance, and it says each tablet of 30 milligrams contains 275 micrograms of iodine, 
don't pay any attention to the amount of kelp. You just want to know how much iodine is contained. So if there's 275 micrograms, you might take two tablets, one tablet or two tablets per day. And that should get the amount of iodine you need. It's also a good idea to get your thyroid tested, to get the lab test for thyroid status. And that consists of several tests, a thyroid stimulating hormone, TSH level, that's a pituitary hormone, as well as the thyroid hormones themselves. But you want the free or unbound fraction. Those are the only measures that really matter. There's a bunch of old measures that we don't rely on anymore. So you want the free T3 and the free T4. You also want to know if there's a blocker of T3's action called reverse T3, because reverse T3 at high levels can also cause hypothyroidism, all the symptoms of hypothyroidism, even when all the other values look good. And you want the thyroid antibodies also, because, because it's very common to have autoimmune thyroid disease that can damage your thyroid. And if you do have an increased level of those antibodies attacking your thyroid, that's the one situation where you do not want to take iodine until you've taken steps to make those antibody levels normal. And you do that by following all the strategies in my wheat belly and undoctored programs. And once the antibody levels have normalized, then you can start iodine, which we do at a low dose of about 100 micrograms and build it up slowly to your target level over time. If you need help in interpreting your thyroid panel, feel free to come on my Wheat Belly blog or my Undoctored Inner Circle or take a look at any of my books where there's extensive conversations about thyroid health, iodine, and what you should aim for for optimal thyroid function. Because if your thyroid is in good shape and your thyroid hormones are all in order, it should allow you to lose weight. It should allow you to sleep a normal amount of time. It should allow you to have great energy because the thyroid controls so many aspects of normal human metabolism. So recognize the absolutely critical importance of iodine in your health, in your lifestyle. Unfortunately, if you ask your doctor nine times out of 10 or worse, they'll say you don't need it, you're getting it from your diet, there's nothing wrong with you, or some other nonsense answer. So sadly, we cannot rely on my colleagues, doctors, even endocrinologists, who often are the most ignorant about iodine for good information. Now, if you found the information I've just provided in my Defiant Health podcast helpful, I invite you to post a review, subscribe to your favorite podcast directory or, or catalog source, and tell your friends because we need to grow this movement of people who are empowered in their own health and not relying on the healthcare system. Thanks for listening.